Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about architecture and the climate crisis. I am joined today by Daniel A. Barber. Daniel is an associate professor of architecture at the University of Pennsylvania, where he also chairs the PhD program. Daniel describes his research as centering around two primary tracks, the first being what he calls the, quote, revisionist history of architecture modernism as it relates to environmental concerns. And the second is about providing a framework for architects and designers to engage with the climate crisis. Both of these research interests are present in his completely fascinating new book, Modern Architecture and Climate, Design Before Air Conditioning. This book, which came out last summer, looks at how 20th century architects incorporated climate-mediating strategies into their designs before the invention and popularity of air conditioning and, and HVAC units. What this book shows, though, is that the architect's role in mediating climate, in controlling climate, in creating conditions for comfort and thinking about the use of fossil fuels has largely been usurped by the engineer, and that the invention of air conditioning profoundly shaped the trajectory of modern architecture. This book is an incredible piece of research, an incredible piece of design history, and it got me thinking about all sorts of things. It's also a book that's that's very relevant to the graphic designer, which you'll hear us talk about in the second half of this episode. We also talk about how he found his way into architecture through his environmental interests. We talk about his long-term research on environmental conditions and this idea that air conditioning is also a type of people conditioning, which was this really kind of profound uh, insight that I thought he had in the book. It's a great conversation that I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Don't forget, Scratching the Surface is made possible because of listener support. If you enjoy the show and want to help support it, you can become a member for just $5 a month or $50 a year. Members get an exclusive monthly newsletter that I like to think of as the director's commentary for the show, including reflections on the episodes, a preview of upcoming shows, and all sorts of other bonus content. If you want to help it, if you want to help the show and see it continue, I hope you consider becoming a member. You can visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members for all the details. Thanks again for listening. And here is my conversation with Daniel Barber. I would like to talk about I would like to talk about about your new book or newish book Modern Architecture and Climate, but before we get into that, I want to actually step back and kind of put this book uh, kind of into context of your larger research sure. and larger thinking, kind of larger intellectual life, because your your previous book, this book is about architecture and air conditioning. Your previous book was about modern architecture and solar energy, and a lot of your work mm-hmm. is is kind of thinking about uh, alternative histories or revisionist histories, mm-hmm. I, I've heard you refer to it, around architecture and climate. Where did that interest... Uh, come from for you or how did you kind of get involved in this subject? I mean, I kind of came came to the field of architecture somewhat naively, um, circa, uh, circa 2000. Um, my, my father was an architect, so I'd kind of been around architecture, or is an architect, I should say. Um, uh, I've been around architecture my whole life and he, we, I grew up in Colorado and he was designing houses and offices and all sorts of things around Southern Colorado. Um, uh, but I, I entered into, you know, I, I came from a, a theoretical background through my uh, college work at, at University of Washington and a kind of strong, basically post-structuralism training there. Um, and, and 
thought I would turn to architecture to think about the environment and, and assumed that there would be a robust kind of exciting discussion going on. Um, and, you know, this was <laughs> yeah. my naivete in circa 2000. And um, through a, a various kind of random pathways and friends of friends ended up looking at the Yale um, degree, they have a, a sort of what they call the Master of Environmental Design, which is, is not really necessarily about environment. Um, right. It's really just to kind of make your own uh, fabulous kind of, you know, explore theoretical dimensions of the field um, opportunity for, for scholars, for young scholars in training, I should say. I and mean, it's often on the way to the PhD as it was for me. Um, so I went to that program, again, kind of assuming I was going to be kind of walking into this discussion and, and found that, you know, um, I mean, you know, there were many people interested in having a discussion, but it certainly wasn't the, the sort of primary set of issues. So immediately came to kind of, you know, face the question, okay, why is this happening, right? I mean, what is at stake that there's such a, I mean, you come from sort of outside of architecture any at any moment in the past kind of 20 years, and there's so much discussion around efficiencies and, and technologies and ways of engaging with environmental problems. And you go kind of deep into the architectural discourse and, and it's just not, I mean, it is a little bit now, I, I should say, things have changed dramatically, but, you know, circa 2000 was, you know, 2003 was, was just not there, right? And, and um, so, you know, looking at that question and then, you know, so, so of course this becomes an archival question and, and uh, I kind of slowly went back into the archive. I wrote a bit about the 60s in Berkeley and, and about how environmental design was formulated. That, you know, was my thesis work at Yale and then, uh, went into the PhD program at Columbia, in effect, just to sort of keep keep digging in the archive to to think about how these histories had, you know, both the kind of histories of uh, what the books try to do, both books in a way, is both tell the story of how these histories developed, right? How solar architecture right. developed, how climate responsive architecture developed in the context of well, why you haven't heard about it yet. <laughs> so, right, right, exactly. You know, what, were the discursive, yeah. what were the discursive obstacles? I mean, even Rainer Bannon, right? Our favorite yeah. kind of environmental you know, protagonist um, has nothing to say about these projects. And, you know, that's, that's uh, an interesting set of questions, right? So, so you know, yeah. that's the kind of framing in, in both cases. Yeah, and I should just say, I mean, just, sorry, but just to caveat all of that for a second, because I don't want to dis, just sort of spread any despair about the kind of state of the architectural field. I mean, there's an amazing amount of fabulous work going on focused on the environment, but the discourse, you know, has needed to be shifted. And I was, I was in that moment 20 years ago, quite surprised at what I found. Right. And I'm, I have one, possibly two other questions kind of just about what you just said and about that, that story and kind of your entry into this. Um, with your father being an architect, and you mentioned um, going to Yale as a, 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 you know, kind of thinking about it theoretically, were you, I, I, I'm not totally sure how to phrase this question, were you interested in being a practicing architect or were you interested in climate and the environment and you saw architecture as a way to kind yeah, of the think second about one that? the, the second mm -hmm. one and 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 again really without i mean um i mean in somewhat you know kind of at the psychoanalytic level right like not really thinking <laughs> about uh, how this was going to change my relationship right. with my father right but um, <laughs> right. um no but yeah not kind of you know recognizing all those dimensions but also um uh, you know and i had an art background as well right so i had a mm. kind of um and a, and a really and, and so the 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 sort of theory you know the kind of world i went through at the university of washington was a kind of it was called the comparative history of ideas it was the degree oh program. interesting it was a very 
why I basically, again, st- I read Bataille for like three years. I mean, it was just this sort of swimming nice. of structuralism yeah. and, 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 and fabulous. I mean, great people that I'm still, still in, in close contact with scholars uh, around the world. And, and, um, um, and, but really did, yeah, really did go. I mean, you know, in, in a way it was kind of like, this is a world I'm familiar with. I mean, it felt really natural. It wasn't, mm-hmm, it didn't mm-hmm. feel like a decision in a way to me at the time, but as I sort of post hoc thought about it, you know, this was a world I was familiar with, uh, that I knew had, you know, and growing up in Colorado and, and even though my father was, you know, is not a sort of radical green architect in any way. You know, we grew up around solar houses and and the kind of everydayness of the solar house, right? I mean, and, and they're right. all over the place in the in the West, right? And whether how how passive and active, you know, to different degrees, but it's there's an approach that is very solar, so to speak. And 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 certainly the kind of modernism of the eight seven late seventies and eighties, the kind of well late not even modernism, but the kind of late, you know, the kind of weirdly angled solar houses in Colorado in that period were very noticeable in the suburban mm, landscape right so so these were around yeah. right um and i you know right. so just to say that the sort of my milieu had some sense of a kind of relationship of architecture and the environment that was just sort of there and and so right i i came into the field thinking this is a place where sort of climate and ideas about i mean i'd, I'd always been an environmentalist and always always been mm, again, okay. growing up in colorado i mean always had been right, sort of this right. was my thing and um the art that i had made is getting my uh MFA, uh, which was kind of on the way to all these things too, in various ways, <laughs> was very much uh, kind of observing cities and observing landscapes and kind of understanding these forms of interaction and uh, trying to kind of map infrastructures in various ways. And so, yeah, this had been my kind of realm, but um, but wanted to, yeah, wanted to kind of understand in a sense, you know, pretty soon after getting at Yale to Yale, yeah, sort of why haven't we been talking? Why hasn't the discourse been preoccupied with environment more productive ways yeah that's interesting i wanted to if we had time i was going to ask you i was trying to chart your your path in my research and saw that Mm. you were in washington and then the mfa and then Mm. you were at yale and so kind of hearing that they actually obviously that some of this is also revisionist but they they sound very related (laughs) or that there's there's clearly Mm. some some interests that are connecting them all yeah um Yeah. yeah so so let's talk about modern architecture and climate let's talk about your new yeah, book because yeah. i think in a way hearing you kind of talk about that background a lot of what you're saying i i see in the book when i was was reading it and what's i, I i'm, I'm going to kind of paraphrase something that i thought was a big idea in the book and then i'd like to hear you kind of talk about how you think about the book and your goal for the sure. book but what was really interesting to me as someone who's not an architect uh who's just uh, a lover of architecture likes reading about architecture talks to a lot of architects and kind of architecture theorists is that before that air conditioning the idea of hvac units actually had a, a fairly profound shift in both the the aesthetics and look of buildings, but also in the kind of domain of the architect. And that pre-air conditioning, the control of the climate inside a building was something that an architect thought about. And then with air conditioning, that left the architect and went to the engineer. And I found that shift very interesting. And and, and mm-hmm. I, I felt like that kind of subtly came up again and again in the book. Yeah, Can you yeah, talk yeah. about kind of what it was about air conditioning, what it is about HVAC that became this kind of crux that you could kind of then build this entire book around? Yeah. Yeah. No, good. That's, that's a nice way to, nice way to frame it. And, um, 
No, and it was that shift. And it's funny because, you know, I think in the book and, and even now, you know, there's just these kind of layers of, of, of kind of backs and forths of uh, kind of, the, you know, the trajectories of, of kind of history and cause and effect that kind of swirl around in the, in the book a little bit. And they, you know, kind of swirl around AC in that, in that sense. Um, because I think just as you suggest that, you know, you know, what the book tells the story of, in fact, is the, you know, the, the sort of architectural experiments and projects and, and, and buildings and, and designs um, before air conditioning sort of emerged as a viable, as an economically viable, as a, as a kind of energy system viable um, uh, process. And in fact, it tells the story, frankly, of many buildings built in the 30s and 40s without air conditioning and, and you know, that use design as a mechanism, as a means, as a, as a, uh, as a process to, to sort of manage a relationship to climate. But just to say that many of those buildings were later air conditioned, right? I mean, often through very right. ugly right. window in window units, right? And 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 so you know, air conditioning has has certainly taken over, and and that's always in the you know that we can't kind of lose sight of that, and and, and certainly the architects in the in the 30s had no idea, of, uh, and and they're they're but what we so so the 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 issue is that sort of post hoc, right? I mean, as we look back at it, we can see that the way that modernism was framed by its some of its protagonists uh, in the 30s, and I follow a, a kind of a clear sort of stream historiographically, right, from Le Corbusier mm-hmm. into Brazil and uh, Richard Neutra, and then kind of out into a, a broader, you know, sort of global uh, dispersion. But um, um, it, it's to say that it's a narrative that goes sort of um, thoroughly and kind of solidly within the, the, the framework of, of modern architecture as we understand it, right? And I, you know, I basically argue and pre- present evidence that I hope is convincing that says that you know climate was a huge part of this discussion and and how and in fact that 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 you know if you kind of think about right okay steel glass and concrete and here's this kind of design apparatus that can operate around the world in a different way um, you know imagine it itself kind of through universal standards and international styles and this sort of thing. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about a capacity to sort of engage with a, a range of different climates with this kind of flexible system, right? So, so the way that I, I like to think about it is that the kind of modernism as it was proposed in the, in the 20s and 30s and, and into the early 60s in this stream was kind of really imagined as a, you know, kind of mechanism of climatic adaptability, right? So that the right. building can sort of be inserted into the urban condition and, and sort of adjust itself, right? And so shading devices and mm. uh, very complex shading screens and multiple shading devices on the facade and very carefully keyed facades and orientation studies and, you know, the whole world of engagement, you know, we can maybe get into it in another question, but, you know, I mean, it goes on into this whole world of engagement with the kind of climate science, but but in the early years of, of the sort of modern design um, uh, uh, questions in the first half of the book, um, uh, really a focus on, yeah, how these kind of tools of modernism become a means to uh, sort of make a building flexible according to its uh, sort of climatic needs so that the conditions on the exterior are sort of adapted and make sense uh, relative to the conditions. I'm sorry. So that the conditions on the interior are adapted to uh, the changing patterns of the exterior, which of course those patterns themselves just kind of being known, right? I mean, the kind of climate science is developing at the same time. So, so, you know, you just sort of imagine these kind of circulations of knowledge that are trying to understand the thermal interior and the global climate, right? And the facade then, as I play out in the book, and it, the facade section and, and even becomes this sort of huge sort of space for me to, you know, to discuss these things as kind of emblem, a kind of leitmotif that 
carries through the book to allow us to see the changes that are happening. Um, um, uh, yeah, the right. facade becomes this kind of space to negotiate, right? And to negotiate right. the relationship between interior and exterior, et cetera. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm, I have a question about that, and I'm not. I, I hope this is not <laughs> reductive in any way, or, or making you kind of re-explain things in the book. But I, the the idea of the facade was interesting to me, and kind of what you're just talking about of modernism in a way was kind of allowing these buildings to be placed in an urban environment and kind of adapt to the climate. And what what's interesting that kind of comes through in your book is that. Again, before air conditioning, architects were often thinking about the placement of the building in the landscape, where the sun came mm -hmm. in, where the trees mm -hmm. were placed, mm -hmm. what the type of shading was happening to help control the interior climate. Um, mm -hmm. How the introduction of, of air conditioning, how kind of moving right. that domain from the architect right. to, the, to the engineer, how did that... Mm -hmm. I guess the question maybe I'm asking sure. is how architects kind of then changed the process or how you see, you know, these buildings being changed yeah. when that no longer became uh, a kind of way of thinking about the building. I, I think it starts to get at one of these kind of shifts that we were already talking about in terms of, of the kind of complicated causes and effects and so on, you know, which is that um, when, when, and we'll speak very schematically about the kind of history of modernism in architecture, right? But it's to say that when this sort of break mm -hmm. occurs, which, you know, already that's a problem, right? But, you know, when the sort of moment of, of modernization mm -hmm. occurs, right? And we talk about um, uh, we're going to different materials and a different sort of capacity to, to kind of operate technologically and, and kind of bureaucratically and even politically, arguably, um, you know, our, uh, as we begin to experiment with the different uh, kind of array of materials of, of, of architectural modernism, um, um, you know, you really start to, to see this uh, shift in the, in the discussion um, that, well, sorry, sorry, let me just put it this way, that the, the, uh, the problem that emerged, the problem, so, so you're breaking away from traditional patterns that manage climate, let's just put it that way, right? That, right that over right. the centuries, over the, you know, over the millennia, architecture, architectural forms and materials and, you know, the thickness of walls and the size of the window and all of, you know, all of these issues have in some way been inflected according to the climate of the exterior. And that's, been known either through tacit knowledge or in some cases theorized, I mean, kind of depending on how extreme the climate was, right, and how much of an issue it was. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but what, you know, so so in a way, what you say when you introduce the sort of tools and, and ideas and materials of modernism is to kind of step away from that traditional set of responses, again, a claim to a universality, and then a set of questions of sort of, okay, well, so how does this manage climate, right? How does this adapt mm. to these different climatic regimes? And, and then a kind of introduction in effect uh, if you will, a reintroduction of, of a number of strategies from, let's say, that vernacular vocabulary in terms of shading mechanisms, in terms of wall thicknesses, in terms of facades, again, although, you know, formulated quite differently. Um, uh, but a number of, of techniques and tools, the Brice Soleil, of course, the kind of famous one, right, right um, uh, that, that kind of reintroduces again, right, these kind of means, I mean, that are, you know, that are taken from uh, shading devices and veranda and um, screens and other sorts of systems that are existing in, in again, pre-modern, let's say, vernacular practices for, for some centuries, right? So, so, so there's a kind of reintegration already at the beginning, right, of these of these kind of threads of of uh, um, 
modernism and and climate and this kind of responsiveness to these uh, vernacular practices. Um, uh, and 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 so so there's a you know that shift that we're of, of how to think about the site again you know is a similar sort of sort of model in the sense that you know the site was was everything for architecture right for right ever <laughs> right and, right, and, right. And, and you know and I mean there's this moment actually in the book where the the, the there's these two brothers these Hungarian twins who are uh, kind of climate methodologists kind of climate yeah, yeah. Uh, designers and they very much in the legacy of the Corbusier as they see themselves, but um, uh, they produced this ridiculous, fabulous, amazing machine called the Thermoheliodon, which is this kind of domed kind of weather system to try to model the building's climatic interior. And it, it's a total mess, just it just doesn't work. But, um, uh, but it, yeah, it's kind of fabulous in its, in its access. Um, um, but what they do, you know, they 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 insist that in this in this uh, system in this thermoheliodon device that you place soil from the site, right? I mean, the sense that that kind of the earth, and which you know, it's both kind of this intense phenomenological kind of sense of the earthness of the of the climatic system, right? That it relates to this kind of being in place, right? But it's also, I mean, that's you know, it's part of what gets exceeded by computation, right? But then it also um, uh, you know, just just is so it has this romanticism to it that I think is also quite something that you write about in the book. Hearing this is, is making me think of this kind of other trajectory that's happening in the book that you've written about elsewhere, which is these this mm. question of comfort and mm. and what it means to be comfortable. And I think both air conditioning and kind of pre air conditioning, the situation on the site was a way to create comfort for the yeah. dweller inside inside the the place and right. something that you write in the book is that air conditioning is also people conditioning which i thought was such a great line and i'm i'm wondering if you could just talk more about this idea of comfort and how air conditioning has kind of reframed what we think of as comfortable and how we can start to um perhaps rethink or, you know, think about that in new ways in some, in some way. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny here because you're really, uh, again, you're hitting on the uh, uh, great okay. points. And, <laughs> um, I think another one of the kind of, I mean, not a contradiction, but it just the sort of pleasant complication of the book is that it, you know, I mean, it was, when you introduced it, you'd said that it was a, about architecture and air conditioning, you know, and, and as mm -hmm. we authors do, we get so close to these things, right? And I kind of bristle because, of course, the whole premise is before air conditioning. But then on the other hand, of course, you're absolutely right that it, it is about air conditioning. I mean, it's about air conditioning the whole time, right? I mean, that's, and that's, again, part of the kind of problematic that's that's at stake is, is you know, sort of posing this this question of, did we always have air conditioning? Right? Like, how have we existed without it? And, and, and how it's so completely changed our you know, our, our kind of metric of, um, of comfort, right? Or of kind of what's acceptable in our interior. You know, when I was talking about those buildings in Brazil a minute ago um, with these incredibly dynamic uh, shading devices, and, and, and I think I, I, you know, just to clarify that story for a second, that a number of buildings built in, in uh, Brazil in the 40s and 50s with these wildly dynamic shading devices, often three and four or five different kind right. of sets and levers and things to move around to control mm -hmm. the thermal and the daylight uh, incidents. Um, many of those were just taken off and they were replaced with air conditioning units. Right. And, and, um, right. uh, 
so so you know really to to recognize that uh, which which helps us to see a lot of things but one of the things it helps us to see is that um you know the way that we want to experience an interior has transformed right and that what was maybe acceptable and and sort of um comfortable or you know livable um in 1945 right as ashray standards basically um you know various air conditioning regulatory standards transformed over the decades is kind of no longer comfortable right and and so right. um uh, there's a there's just a real uh uh, shift not you know a, a shift not only in you know not only in sort of what is provided and how we experience these interiors but sort of what we expect and what we see to be because comfort in effect comfort is what's you know killing us right I mean our comfort right, right. Our, our, our civilizational demise right so so yeah we have to kind of right. keep that in in mind right and so so we can you know how do we how exactly how much less comfortable can we be, you know, uh, is right. becomes the kind of question for, you know, architects basically. Right. So, so right. yeah, this kind of dynamic between, um, you know, I, I guess it's also just to say, just to answer that in a slightly different way that, that, you know, people often say, well, we'll never satisfy our current energy demand with renewable energy. Right. So we have to continue using fossil fuels, but, but another way to have that discussion is to say, we're never going to satisfy our current energy demand with, renewable energy. So we have to change our current energy demand, right? And, and, and reduce right. it, of course, and the built environment becomes a huge tool through which to do that, right? So, so just really, yeah, right. kind of overplaying that as a kind of mechanism to operate differently, right? To have to live differently, to feel comfortable in different sorts of spaces, to um, want different things, kind of, you know, want less stuff, right? I mean, there's a broader kind of consumerist argument that goes on as well you have a, a line in the book uh that i loved and i'm, I'm paraphrasing it so it, you you wrote it much better than what I, how i'm about to say it but it's something to the effect of our drive for being comfort to control our internal climate our, our interior climates is what is then in turn harming the external climate uh you know this 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 proliferation of air conditioning is is what's kind of, you know, causing so yeah. many of these problems. No, and it's, it's totally, it's, it's, it's true. Right. And it's hard to, once you kind of see it, it's unavoidable, right. That, that, yeah. I mean, the, the relation, and, and, and then of course, when you think about that line, not in the, in the context of, you know, most of us right now, I assume are sitting in homes, which are probably, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they're whatever, they might be fully sealed and conditioned, but in many cases are at least hybrid, but, you know, when yeah. you think about it in the context of an office building, right. That, right. you know, that, that, I mean, how do we get out of that situation? Right? I mean, a yeah. fully sealed curtain wall, like completely yeah. depend, you know, built to, to, in many cases, built to sort of, uh, you know, maximize the throughput of energy because that was politically and economically uh, desired in the 50s and 60s, right? To use more energy. I mean, mm -hmm. it was good. It was economy. Right. It was motion. It was, it was capital. It was building up. It was growth, right? Buildings is a kind right. of engine of growth over the post-war period. You know, we're engines for processing petroleum, right? I mean, we have you know, right. been deeply kind of a part of this uh, uh, you know, production of, of the kind of conditions that we, that we currently live in. I, I I agree with with all of that, and there's I'm okay. sorry to just keep quoting back lines no, no. <laughs> for no, no, you okay. from the book, right. yeah. but yeah. but speaking of that, and and I think this this gets to the question of comfort, and it also gets to questions about looking to the future, and I think that's the mm -hmm. other kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. message in the book is that you know in studying this history, we can kind of rethink how we 
we might approach the future. And you have this this question about halfway through the book about uh, can architecture induce habits that activate a different relationship to fossil fuels? And I think another way to say that in the context of this conversation is can architecture induce habits that activate a different relationship to comfort? And you say mm-hmm. habits occur, at least in some instances, when it becomes so spatialized, instantiated, built in a word, when it becomes architecture. And mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I think mm-hmm. one of the themes of this podcast is that design is uh, ideologies made artifact. It's it's taking mm-hmm. ways of living, mm-hmm. ways of seeing the world, and turning them into reality, turning them into spaces, objects, you know, messages. And so, what I'm hearing when I when I read that is that where architects have given up on thinking about that, or maybe not given up, but have have traded it for the engine, you know, to the engineers you're kind of making an argument that this still is the domain of the architect. And so what do you see as the future? How do you see kind of architecture and design starting to reframe these questions? That it is a, a book, a, a book of history that is mostly about the future. Um, and, and it is that because in, in just sort of very simple ways, which is to say architects should read this. I mean, you know, I guess I can try to sell my book, so that's okay. Yes, please read it. Uh, yeah, um, that's what that's what that's we're fair here. Enough. I'm allowed to do that. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> architects should read it, and they will, uh, you know, recognize a different sort of past. You know, that will uh, that I you know hope is sort of presented in such a way that allows one to kind of situate oneself as a as a kind of you know a trajectory to carry forward. Right, that there's there's a robust mm-hmm. kind of body of evidence here that can help us to kind of rethink architecture's project in the world, right? Um, um, and, and participate in that. I'm not pretending, you know, this is some like sort of uh, prophetic, you know, far from it, but that it's, it's just a kind of opportunity to help us think about the relationships of pasts and futures. And in effect, to really emphasize again, I mean, relative to the facade and, and uh, you know, in, emphasize kind of architecture as this kind of interface, right? As this space of negotiation, right? As this place where mm-hmm. cultures and civilizations kind of express themselves, right? So, what do we want to express, right? I mean, you know, the, right. the uh, you know the Seagram's Tower is always in my mind, basically. Yeah, right? yeah. The, the kind of sealed office tower of the mid-century period and its proliferation around the world. You know, that is what our that is what our sort of cultural capital, if you will, was, you know, dedicated to corporate, you know, ex- expansion and globalization and, you know, et cetera. I mean, this has been a huge kind of aspect of architectural production, not just in terms of like buildings produced, but in terms of a kind of, you know, pathway and a kind of industrial system and a building industry that was rooted in a set of, you know, mm-hmm. again, relative to the architectures, architects and engineers, relative to regulations and codes and, um, you know, how you can, I mean, there was a fabulous period in the 70s when you couldn't build a building in many states in the Midwest during the oil crisis without kind of demonstrating access to alternative fuels. Uh, but in that mm. case, natural gas was considered an alternative because it was local. It was not mm. to be, you know, didn't have, wasn't part of the, the political crisis, right? But uh, nonetheless, mm. right, there was legislation that said, <laughs> right. you know, look elsewhere. Um, and, you know, so we have like, you know, there's there's so many histories and stories and, and kind of ways of, of thinking through uh, rethinking architecture, you know, as again, this kind of divisive climatic adaptability, right, as this kind of way of, of interfacing um, between humans and, and climate, which, you know, of course, we desperately need to rethink, right? So right. in many ways, the book is just sort of a plea to architects again, and they're kind of those, you know, in the broader kind of architectural public, let's say, 
uh, designers and historians and people and you know everybody who's interested, um, yeah, to kind of look look at these issues and take on climate much more aggressively, right? Um, right. Which I again say right. with many caveats of many fabulous colleagues who are doing so, but you know, the, to to turn the kind of discursive engine of the field towards these questions, basically. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you say you you just said that that architects should read this and that you want architects to read this. And I would even go a step further. Me as a graphic designer coming from a graphic design background, I Mm -hmm. actually would make the argument that graphic designers should read this also. because the other kind of big piece of this book is you write a lot about media and images and that, and how that helped disseminate these ideas. Can you talk about that kind of strand Mm -hmm. of it? And, and, um, you know, especially especially coming, you know, thinking about this in, in an architecture context, can you talk about the role of media and, and specifically what you mean when, when you say media kind of in the architecture context and, and images here? Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I again, I mean, I mean too many things by that word uh, <laughs> yeah. um, um, and, and use it, yeah, sort of milk what I can from it. But uh, I mean, I think on the one hand, uh, you know, the sort of question of images and there's a lot of uh, the, the way that I really got to the book, uh, in effect, was was through thinking about how um, really being curious about how these these Ogiai brothers who I've mentioned already, these Hungarian emigres, <laughs> made all these just wacky images, right? That were yeah. these diagrams yeah. that were trying to kind of solve the problem of climate design, right? That were, I mean, brilliant and fabulous and researched and thorough. I mean, they're amazing research. I'm not, I don't disparage them at all, but they were also just, they were trying to fit into us. You know, there was just no kind of uh, interface for them in, in architecture, right. in effect, relative to these questions of climate. So, so they just, you know, they, they appear so anachronistic. And, and so trying to understand the struggles of, of sort of using, uh, of how media, how diagramming, how the design process, you know, um, was, was being seen as a, a place for thinking about climate, right? And so, so one of the sort of general frameworks of the book is that, you know, part of what we're tracing, looking at this kind of you know, circa uh, 30s to 60s period um, is, is, you know, we're sort of uh, uh, tracing the, the kind of emergence of a, of a body of media that's, look, that's grappling with the question of climate in a moment when that's, right. you know, there's not a lot of, I mean, that's going on in many different interesting places, basically, right? in sort of piecemeal ways. And it, you know, starts to, it transforms a lot over that period. So there's, there's that sort of just sense of a kind of production, a kind of image making apparatus that, you know, so there's a great, the, 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 there's a chapter that looks at a, um, a project that, that happened in the 1940s uh, into the early 1950s that was at both the American Institute of Architects and House Beautiful uh, magazine, right? right. So a kind of shelter right. magazine of the period, and it's still around, but um, uh, to look at how to, how basically uh, directed at architects through the AIA and then directed at the, at the, I mean, frankly, housewives and, and their husbands kind of placed in that language uh, from House Beautiful um, to, you know, how to work with your architect to adjust your house to climate, how to build a building for the climate, this whole climate control project that was just this proliferation of media, right? And it was these right. I mean, models and photographs of buildings, of course, I mean, those kind of familiar representational, you know, direct representational images, but then also the graphs and the charts for the architects and, you know, sun path diagrams and, and all the, again, all these kind of wild, mostly opaque, really, in many ways, um, even today, yeah. although, although embedded in, I mean, this was also, of course, the beginning of, 
you know, performance software. I mean, this was the data mm-hmm. gathering and the kind of you know, right. managing of, of inputs to eventually come to, you know, now what we have kind of built into many uh, softwares, performance softwares. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, media become, and, and, you know, and of course I talk about the facade as media as well and sort of right. play that out and, and, and really in the sense of being a kind of interface, right. And, and thinking then about, you know, the reason I overplay this term media is because when you think about, the facade of a building and the kind of way it's constructed and the way that climate is managed is imagined to relate to it. And you also think about the sorts of drawings and ideas that are going on in the architectural field around climate and it's how to estimate it, how to work with it, how to model according to it. Right. You just get this really rich um, perspective and pers- you know, kind of perception and, and access to a really rich kind of body of knowledge about how, you know, climate, uh, climate, buildings become a way of, of, of kind of living with different climates, right? And, and it yeah. had always been, yeah. of course, right? I mean, again, this yeah. is kind of recapturing the pre-modern, you know, I mean, often quite explicitly um, uh, uh, way of living, right? Um, right. Yeah, so, so, so media becomes important there. Yeah, you have this. You have this great line: uh, "Weather can be experienced. We need media to understand climate. Mm-hmm. Building can be experienced. We need media to understand architecture." And I, the, I loved that, and I, I loved the house beautiful section because, as a graphic designer, that actually felt the closest to, to my work. And you know, mm-hmm. so much of that that kind of messaging and those diagrams could also be read as, as graphic design, you know? Yeah, and and, and I, I think that's where it really starts to expand beyond not just the built world, but how we talk about the built world. Right. 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 And then, I mean, I, I, you know, there was a sort of, uh, there were versions of that chapter that, that went off into lots of, um, uh, <laughs> you know, pathways. Okay. And, and uh, one of them had, has, has to do with just, uh, yeah, just the intensity of some of those diagrams and why the diagram, I mean, so there's a diagram that shows that's, that's a collaboration between a meteorologist and, ar- and an architect that, that this is kind of where to place your house on a hill. And it has, you know, the kind of right. swooping in and around. And it's just so beautiful. I mean, yeah. it's just this rich kind of expressive and, you know, the colors are amazing. And um, it, it's just such an amazing aesthetic object. Um, and, and so I, I got really fascinated about how that kind of, um, need to sort of capture, you know, that kind of affect mm. and, and sort of cultivate that desire, right, became a, a, a sort of project for image making and, and media making at the same time as sort of the sort of gathering of data, right, and kind of how to, you know, and, and, and you know, and, the, and again, the old guys, I think, express that in part because they kind of fumble with it and they're, they're overambitious and they have some trouble with it. But there's these a few moments that sort of pop up in the book where, and, and from the old guys' work as well, where you just kind of see it kind of, um, you know, there's a when the old guys come up with this concept of the comfort zone as their kind of right. I mean, they don't they they don't they adopt it. I mean, it's kind of a it becomes kind of a everyday concept quite quickly. But uh, in terms of the, the industry, um, uh, but they you know they 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 sort of play it out in so many different ways. But one of them is this kind of technical drawing, you know, on a x y axis, kind of showing temperature and humidity and these various kind of hazardous climate conditions, right, that the mm-hmm. building is to protect you mm-hmm. from. And then showing inside this kind of cloud, you know, this kind of bubble, um, a, a declining figure, I mean, on a Corbusier yeah. chaise, in fact, smoking a pipe and reading the newspaper. And, and you know, and again, this is where, I mean, I, I know I'm going on here for a second, but, but this is also where you, you know, also where the kind of aspects of equity and, and racial justice and, 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 you know, the extent to which these kind of house beautiful projects were, 
managing climate in the suburbs were explicitly exclusive and exclusionary. Um, and that even this whole premise, you know, the sort of broader questions of, as I bounce around a little bit in projects in West Africa and um, parts of Asia and the Middle East, uh, especially U.S. embassy projects in the 50s, you know, just a, a recognition at, at how much the, 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 this kind of argument for modern architecture as a climatic apparatus is also a way to describe uh, the kind of ways in which uh, architecture was a part of Af kind of interventionist efforts, either uh, colonial or, right. or neo-colonial or quasi-diplomatic, right through this embassy building, or you know, like I talked briefly and have been writing a bit more about um, uh, a book designed by, I'm uh, sorry, a building designed by uh, <laughs> Max Maxwell Fry and Jane Drew in, in Lagos, uh, mm. Nigeria, in 1960, the headquarters of British Petroleum. Um, mm. that is a shaded building, right? And that has a hybrid system and that, and, you know, is, is, is kind of able to be there and support its uh, Northern Western corporate yeah. executives because of its shaded system, right? So that it can extract more oil, you know, from Nigeria to right. uh, elsewhere. You know, so it's just the integration oh, of, when we talk about kind of modern architecture, let's say relying on a climatic adaptability, it's not just a kind of narrative of, technological design prowess, right? It's also, you know, um, uh, kind of a way of understanding the deep interconnections yeah. between colonialism and, and its kind of aftermath and the modern architectural project, right? I mean, the, the technological efficiencies, I and mean, certainly the rendering uh, livable, difficult climates, right? I mean, the kind of role of these buildings around the world, but by these buildings, I mean, shaded, you know, shaded buildings that are kind of entering into a landscape in order to sort of produce a type of thermal space that is comfortable according to a certain universal standard, right? I mean, these are kind of, uh, ob, you know, uh, projects of uh, sort of techniques of colonization, in effect, right? I mean, what be they corporate or governmental um, or internal for that matter, right? In the case of Brazil. Um, so, you know, we don't want to lose sight of that. Yeah. But that leads into what my next question was, which I was kind of curious. I mean, obviously this book just just came out recently, but I'm curious what's next. What are you thinking about? You know, what's kind of the next project? And I think I think, you know, you started talking about some stuff you're writing now, but where where are your interests uh headed? Yeah. No, so I have I have two two projects going on and they and they kind of um one I guess is a bit more sort of uh, richly focused on the discipline and kind of an architectural history mm. book. And it's, it's called Stranded Assets. And it's, it's basically trying to understand, mm. indeed, some of the books I've mentioned, uh, The Seagram's Tower, uh, also the Bauhaus, uh, mm -hmm. Dessau Building, and, and a number of other kind oh, of icons. Right. Just kind of read them as carbon, um, uh, you know, as carbon processors again, right? As kind of ways of yeah. understanding transformations in uh, uh, the energy system. Um, and also read them as intensifiers in, in, in effect of, of energy use. So a sort of story of yeah. architecture and carbon. Um, that's interesting. But then I'm, I'm, so that's, yeah, that's the kind of, uh, um, again, architectural historical narrative uh, familiar to the field. And then, and then I'm also in, in effect trying to take some of the things we've been discussing and the kind of people conditioning ideas, uh, some of the, the, the kind of points of the, of the uh, modern architecture and climate book that are more kind of, broadly um, relatable, let's say. I'm, I'm trying to kind of produce a more sort of public version, if you will. I mean, it's not a version oh, of the book at all. Interesting. It's, it's, you know, a, a version of this discussion around architecture and climate um, that, yeah. that can yeah, be a part of a, of a different kind of discourse. So 
that's kind of based more on oh, interviews cool. with with other experts and you know kind of talking through the challenges and, and a bit more kind of conversational and, and, um, and, and still still figuring it out but that's the that's the other direction that's right a yeah. i mean that's a great i love that idea i can't wait i mean i will i will definitely get that book when it's ready because i think i mean i mean we're talking about it as designers we're talking about it through the lens of mm. architecture and the book is so clearly using architecture as uh as a way to talk about things that are not necessarily architecture you know this yeah, the book right, does right. go into so many different ways of thinking about climate and the environment that it i think it that's it makes a lot of sense to yeah, yeah. Uh, produce a version of that that's that's i don't know the word more accessible to people outside of the field mm, um mm, mm. But, uh, yeah, you know, I or, think or more lot. approachable, There's, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's, it's yeah, it, it's, it's to enter that discussion and to kind of share some of the knowledge and, and you know, hopefully mm-hmm. to reveal a lot of other people's research as well. But yeah, and again, to try to kind of keep it on. I mean, it's you know absurd that we need to keep kind of begging people to pay attention to climate too, right? But, but here we yeah. are. So, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my um, my my last question, and this is a question I used to end all of these conversations. Um, and speaking of books, it, it's a perfect way to end it. What are you reading right now? Ah, ah, that's a good one. Yeah, um, what am I reading right now? I'm 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 reading. I read a lot of science fiction, so I'm actually <laughs> um, somehow I'm that doesn't surprise me. Actually, I mean, we don't know each other, but that seems right. Um, I'm I'm reading a book of, of, of short stories that uh, is called After the Apocalypse. I don't even remember who the editor is, but um, it's, mm. it's it's a great collection. I read a lot of uh, Afrofuturism fiction, and uh, Tate Thompson's oh, nice. um, Tate Thompson's uh, Rosewater series is, is is I don't know. I tend to cycle through it once a year these days, and I think it's uh, a great a great body of work. Um, but I'm also reading. Um, I, I've just been reading uh, Joy Kanoblog's book. Um, I, break into my office to get the exact title but it's, it's occupied uh, uh, it's a, a kind of architecture of good behavior it's about a kind of story of, of architecture and psychology um, in the 50s and 60s and defensible space and the kind of integration of architectural ideas into in a way similar you know kind of things that are so evident to us to us now in some ways in terms of their extreme versions and incarceration in other places but that she yeah she teases out in very delicate and intricate histories um, and, um, I just got Andres Yake's new book, uh, uh, Andres Yake is an architect at Columbia, uh, about his powers of 10 project. That is just one of these kind of thick, rich volumes that I'm really looking forward to, to diving into. Nice. So, um, yeah. That's a great list. That's a, that's a really good, that's a, that's a great reading list actually. Um, Daniel, thanks so much for doing this. This was such a fun conversation. I really, I loved the book. Um, I thought it was so interesting and I, I thought this conversation was was so great. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. I really appreciate your your engagement with the material. It's it's, it's always a great fun to, to talk about. And I, yeah, so thanks for all the great questions, basically. It was a lot of fun. This episode was recorded on November 20th, 2020. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.